0: Is everyone going to sue the internet? All this and more on This Week in Retro.
1: High resolution, color graphics. This land of high technology.
0: The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Burning books. The final end of
2: Moore's
1: Law. And thinking inside the box. All this and more coming up on This
0: Week in Retro.
1: Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hi, folks. Hello, Dave. Hi, You're Dave. back.
0: Yes, I'm back. Did you miss me?
1: We did, but we, you were still with us in our comments section. Yes. I noticed yes. last week. Yes. Show.
0: I do like a little bit of a troll, as you might it might be <laughs> oh, might be aware. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy the show. It was weird listening to it. I I, I normally listen to it having been on it, but it's mm. it's over a year now since the first time I've I think I, I've I, I've listened to it without being on it. So um it was a bit strange i'm quite glad it was it was the one i missed was the encyclopedias because when i was at school cd-roms weren't there so i had nothing really to contribute to that conversation did you have a set of encyclopedias though in the school yes where we looked up willies and so on yeah (laughs) another famous (laughs) scotsman yeah. Yes. Really yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me it wasn't in schools either though. It was it was in the home much later. We didn't have CD ROMs in our schools. We had BBC micros for goodness' sake. So <laughs> Yeah.
0: I do remember there was a Star Wars one I had. And it wasn't so much an encyclopedia, but it was that kind of multimedia format, that yeah. early kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. multimedia format, cl- clicking hyperlinks and so on, and you're like, Wow, this is amazing. Chris, I believe you've been um or you think we've in-
1: created some inspiration this week? Oh, don't! So <laughs> one of the guys I watched, so uh,
2: Tui's tech and gaming, or uh, Tui's tech and gaming, or George Tui, um, he posted a video, and the crutch of it is he apparently we inspired him. So, so he's got a retro channel. We inspired yes. him, but not in the right way. We inspired him to sell his Amiga five hundred Batman pack. <laughs> so a couple of weeks back, we were talking about you know somebody that was selling stuff to fund a PS five. And talking about how we probably wouldn't do that, um, I, I don't think it came across right, Dave. I think it was just yourself and I uh, that week. And um, maybe no, we've, we've inspired him to sell his A five hundred Batman pack.
0: Maybe, maybe the person, maybe the person that bought his A five hundred Batman pack sold their PS five to do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, yeah. But
2: no, his his whole thing is basically he's got a, quite a collection of box systems, and he said, "I can't use them all. I have no." personal attachment to the Batman pack and and others that he listed as well yeah so his idea is literally to pass them on hopefully to people that do have those attachments
0: yeah I, so that, 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 that they is, can that is enjoy yeah, them that, that's something we've said yeah. quite a few times yeah you should so do it's that. actually yeah. a good thing yeah
1: yeah well done as long as it doesn't good go all. in the bin it's all good yeah or to a flip um, this week i have bought myself a book and there will be book chat in the show today but i have bought myself good. this book which i'm going to start reading it's called Managing previously
0: unmanaged collections: A Practical Guide for Museums. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. You just said you're going to start reading. I'm sure yes. I've seen you see two or three times. You're, you're just sitting down to read it. I've what read happened? The, I've I've read the intro
1: and then I've been distracted. Um, I need to manage my time better, Dave. So I need a book on time management, and then I can read the book on managing previously unmanaged collections. It's written by Angela Kipp, and I kept seeing it recommended over and over again by people who were in the same situation as me, having um, um, a stock room full of items that have never been properly asset tagged and inventoryed, or they've come into a museum where somebody before them hasn't really Paid attention, or they they started with the best intentions and then never actually finished um, inventory and things, or things get moved from place to place and and never tracked, and it all falls out. So, um, you know what it's like. Any any project that involves a database, you've got to start off on the right foot. You, you know, mm-hmm. crap in, crap out. As the old saying goes. So, um, yeah, I'm going to read this. I'm working with my friend Gary to get a decent inventory system in, hopefully, with a public front end. So, once there's information in there, people can browse it and have a look at the collection. That'll be cool. But as a story that comes up on the show today, we need to be careful we don't put anything in there that will get us sued. Uh, we'll figure it all out. True. Is that book available in CD ROM multimedia format? Just <laughs> not even. Maybe Darling Kindersley should do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Can I rent it from the library? Uh, yes, but I need to, like, lock it in a safe so I can't read it at the same time. <laughs> good idea. David. it's good to have you back in the housekeeping hot seat. Was it weird
0: hearing us do your housekeeping? Um, it, it was good because I thought this shows that I'm irreplaceable because I thought you <laughs> didn't do very well.
2: Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nah, I'm, right, joking, the, I'm joking, I'm joking. Here's the music. Keep it
1: with Dave.
0: So for this week's housekeeping, I'd like to welcome Tim and Ryan as new patrons. Hello, Tim and Ryan. Hey. Thank you very much. We are now over 40 patrons, so thank you very much to your support. If you would like to join them, go to www.patreon.com This Week in Retro. Now, um, I've been reading a few comments recently from people talking about This Week in Retro, our podcast or our show, if you're watching it, in the, or if you're watching your telly, being part of your Saturday routine. And that's amazing. It really is amazing when people say that. And other comments talking people going through a bad time or a difficult time and this podcast helping them, which is just, it's incredible that the three of us just sit down and chat and that makes a difference to people. So thank you very much. But what I would like you to do is go and leave us a review today and help get the word out. Tell other people you like the show, assuming you do like the show. If you don't like it, Don't leave a review, but go out there and tell people. Let people know on your podcast app of choice, and that will help other people find our podcast.
1: The Internet Archive, our favourite place to hunt down old magazines, software and websites, thanks to the Wayback Machine, which is hosted over there. Well, they're being sued, and I don't think that will come as a huge surprise to anyone who's used the site and thought to themselves, how do they get away with this? From complete ROM sets to blockbuster movies, It's all in there, and in actual fact, in preparing for today's show, I popped onto the website this morning, I clicked on the movie section, I clicked on something called LaserDisc Archive Collection, I clicked on ET Special Edition, and within just a few clicks, I was watching the entire, nearly two hour long ET movie. I mean, if I did that, if if I uploaded that movie to YouTube, I'd get shut down. So how does the internet archive get away with it? It's a question that comes up time and time again. We've probably raised it on the show before. Um, did you guys know we're even on there? If you look at This Week in Retro, there's a couple of episodes of us on there. Um, the user that's uploaded them is called This Week in Retro. It's not me. Is it you? It's not me. No. No? So, well, no. One of them's the LGR episode, which is a fairly recent episode. So who's yeah. doing that? Don't know.
0: You know, nobody asked Maybe us. Maybe we'll be preserved for all time, along with things that are <laughs> worth preserving. God help the future. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. So to, to the question, how do they get away with that? We might be about to find out the answer, uh, at least for the book lending part of the website. So if you browse books, you'll find over 20 million out of copyright or freely available books um, there, which you can browse and download. And I think that's a tremendous service. Uh, there are titles going back to the 1800s and all sorts, um, which are really interesting to browse. We were talking about Encarta last week and um, how there was no way that that could compete with the internet. And this is the perfect example of that competition and just the sheer volume of information that we can access now. The problem they're having though is with its 2.3 million eBooks. So these are books which you can loan out like a traditional physical library. And while you have it loaned out, nobody else can, despite it being a digital copy, which can be replicated an infinite number of times. It's just uh, one person at a time. You can load the book out for an hour. I can't say I've ever done this myself. Have you guys ever borrowed an ebook off of Internet Archive? Once, I have. Oh, what did you borrow, Dave? I can't remember.
0: I remember the process. Uh, How was the experience? It was fine. I I borrowed it. I I quickly looked for the information I wanted. I had the information in about two or three minutes. Uh, I can't remember what it was, though. It might even be something something related to one of the stories I was doing for This Week in Retro. But I rented it out had the information in a few minutes and that was the end of it. Sure. So you
1: probably rented it for an hour rather than yes. a longer period yes. and you just read it online. Uh, you can yeah. also loan books out for f- up to 14 days and read them offline. And um, here's the best part. There's no late fees. So after 14 days, your book is automatically disabled and you won't be fined like the old days. Uh, I think we all, many years after finishing school, would have found a book or two on our bookshelves with the um, you know, property of... Whatever school you went to, on the inside cover. No, I'm not a
0: criminal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you think, oh God, no! I hope there isn't a big fine waiting for me. But they never, they never chase you. Um, at least they didn't in my case. Anyway, um, part of the part of this service, is, uh, I, I don't want to use the word problem, but part of, part of the way this works is if if someone else has borrowed the book, like Dave's reading his book, whatever it was, um, you have to wait or you have to add yourself to a waiting list before you can borrow it. Just like you would in a traditional library, really. So how has this got the archiving into bother? Well, <clears throat> for every book that they loan out digitally, they're required to have a license to do so or a physical copy of the book. And it appears they've been lending out more copies than they own or than their license to do so. Now, the more I read about this, the more it feels like that traditional library model trying to be sledgehammered into a digital world. I don't quite know how this is all supposed to fit together. As a result, the Ashet Book Group, I think that's how you say it, HarperCollins, Penguin Random House and John Wiley and Sons have clubbed together. So these are all publishers and they've clubbed together to sue the Internet Archive for willful mass copyright infringement. As I said earlier, I can't say I'm surprised this is happening, but it also raises the question, what are the implications that this might have for the rest of the website? Currently, Internet Archive is saying it won't have any implications. It's just this specific area that we're um, dealing with at the moment. They've put out web seminars and things like that talking about the problem. So they're being quite open. They're not trying to cover up the fact they're being sued. They're talking about it. Um, What are the implications? You know, The easy to access ROM archives, old computer magazines or system manuals that we like to find. Are we going to find those attacked in future? Could it open the floodgates for a takedown of what I think is a brilliant resource or will it be confined to the book lending? Dave, as our most experienced ebook lender or borrower on the Internet Archive, what are your thoughts?
0: Um, I found that the personality of the people behind the Internet Archives is incredibly honest and straightforward. So if they're saying this won't affect the rest of the business, I would 100% believe them. They, they just they, they don't um, they don't seem to want to dress anything up with nonsense marketing and so on. They're a refreshing change from that. So yeah, I, I believe them. But I wonder if there's agendas behind all this. So we know the Internet Archive has a more progressive view of copyright than the big corporations do. Uh, the big corporations seem to want to own everything forever and monetize it forever. Uh, the Internet Archive, though, is for the benefit of humanity, and they aren't concerned about um, preserving copyright for, for legacy. They're, they're more concerned about uh, having the, the, people, the information available for the people. So as I understand, this all kicked off in lockdown when libraries were shut. The Archive were doing the right thing, if you ask me, and I don't mean in a legal sense because I, I, of course, don't have a legal opinion here, um, but I mean in a moral sense. Um, all the books that could have been read by people unavailable because the libraries were shut. Um, So publishers no doubt made a fortune because this meant that people had no choice but to buy the book online to get delivered from Amazon or to buy it for their their Kindle or whatever because they couldn't borrow it from a library. So they're making a fortune. Of course the Internet Archive decides to, to, as I understand, um, to Go beyond the limits of what they are allowed to do to allow people to to rent more books. So I think it was a, an act of goodwill, and it should have been viewed as an act of goodwill by the publishers based on the circumstances. But maybe there's legal reasons why they couldn't view it as an act of goodwill. I, I don't know, but it seems to me as if that this is them pushing for a fight. I know that I know that libraries aren't. Um, I know that libraries aren't cost effective for publishers. I don't. I know they don't don't make money from libraries. Uh, they make much more money from people buying books, so they're not keen on libraries in general. I think it's legislation that forces them to do it. I think so. I, I wonder if there's a fight spoiling to happen here just because they want to have this argument. They want to be able to to push their own agendas further. I, I don't know. Um, It does, however, feel to me that there are fewer and fewer ways to relax and enjoy yourself which aren't being relentlessly monetized, where people aren't trying to get their hand in your pocket, pay a little bit for this, a little bit for that. You can enjoy this much more better if you pay this this 79 pence fee. So libraries and borrowing books are one of the ways in which you can do that and exist without having to spend money all the time. So I do feel strongly that libraries must continue to exist, even if that's digitally. Quick question. When was the last time you went to a physical library?
1: Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. I know they they spent years trying to not reinvent themselves, but offer value for money or value for money, extra services such as internet browsing and email in the early days of dial up, um, you know, Mm. other other services. Um, But, there's never really been one that's had to hook me in. I have great memories of using the library yeah. as a kid yeah, and so do I. exploring microfiche in the library. I loved that. Felt like a spy doing that. But <laughs> in my adult life, I don't even know where my library card is anymore.
2: We, we went through a period of using them quite regularly for audiobooks. But, of course, now you can do that on your mobile device. But And, again, it's part of living in, in, in a large place like West Australia where you go on a long trip up a country road, you're not even guaranteed a signal. So actually, audio books on CD, which we could get from the library, were a great way to entertain us and the kids on what was potentially like a four-hour to six-hour drive. So, yeah, we found a a use for
1: it. I think there's an element as we get older of um, having less free time and therefore our time is more valuable to us. So when we now have the option of going, let's pop onto Amazon and find that book or a used copy of that book or ebay for a couple of quid and it will arrive tomorrow or in two days time you know okay i'll save myself a morning of going to the library and the time that that involves so um yeah that's a big part of it anyway
0: sorry dave this is it's an important point i I'm able to buy any book that I want to read, pretty much, because with the time I've read it, it hasn't cost me that much. So I'm okay. But I'm still happy to pay tax for libraries to exist. And I still feel it's Mm. important that I pay my dues for libraries to exist. But I did mention digitally. So maybe digital libraries is the right way for things to go. I don't know. But I think it's really important they exist. Because if you are in a position where you don't have money, then there should and there must be ways you can enjoy yourself, you can relax without having to to constantly be looking at your, at your hand and finding out how many pennies you have left. Um, and I do think the whole copyright system has twisted and contorted what it should have been. It was meant to be a way for creators to earn a wage. It was meant for them to be able to support artists while they create so that they don't have to stop doing it to earn money and then not be able to do it. It was not intended for, for, for rights to be bought and sold long after the creator has passed away. If you look at the size of the Tolkien estate, for example, of the value of the Beatles and Stones back catalogue, what utility is there for the public? There, what 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 good does that serve for the public? So, I'm un- unapologetically behind the Internet Archive here, and in general, I'm behind what, what they say. I, I very I don't remember ever disagreeing with with something they've come out and said. So, I, I think they're a really important thing for the, the for the. Um, for humanity in general, and I hope that they win whatever um, lawsuit to go there, although I don't have a legal opinion, as I've said.
1: Yeah, we don't really have enough legal knowledge between us to uh, to really have much of an opinion on that side of things. But morally, I, th- I think um, I agree with you there, Dave, everything you've said. Uh, and for anyone who um, wants to pop onto our subreddit, that's reddit.com forward slash R forward slash This Week in Retro. I did notice one of the stories posted that we're not covering today was um, about a report that the EU did on piracy and then and then didn't release. Um, and there's speculation that they didn't release it because they found that piracy doesn't have a great effect or indeed improves sales of things. Um, and that's all part and parcel of that larger discussion about copyright. Dave.
0: I did read it, um, because I yeah. was considering it to, for a story. It was about movies, I think. And what they said was, it only seems to affect um, blockbuster movies. Other things yep. aren't affected. And right. I think that the figure was, for every 10 pirates of a blockbuster movie, I think it was 4 four, it? Yeah. four general sales are avoided. And it made me think back to that documentary that we covered, mm. done by Dominic Diamond a few weeks ago, where they were saying for every 10 um, pirate copies are that are, that are there, or every nine, there's there's one genuine copy. And I don't think the piracy we have these days, because prices have been forced down, I don't think the piracy we have these days is anything like that, though, though, that ratio. I think the piracy we have now is far more legitimate copies to illegitimate ones.
1: Yeah, and just the online nature of many games today and the complications of trying to get around that and have a good gaming experience. Um, There's there's a lot of things which I'm sure are driving that down. But yeah, they did highlight that the movie industry was affected um, disproportionately compared to the others, that's for sure. Uh, Chris, do you have an opinion on this topic?
2: I, I have many strong opinions. I'll keep some to myself, but um, I think, yeah, I, it's interesting that this has come about from from the ebooks. I wasn't expecting that because we we all look at internet Archive and we all ask that question: whether we agree with copyright law or not. How are they getting away with this? Like you said, um, and I've actually found it quite hard to get my hands on particular things. For example, let's let's just pick a title out of the air. Let's say I'm trying to install Pimble Fantasies on an old PC. And what I discover when I install it, because I can at least get the disk images, is it asks for something out of the manual as part of the copyright protection. So I go looking for the manual and can I find the manual on Internet Archive? So it's not that everything is up there that we expect to be up there. Um, And another thing which I think we've mentioned previously is um, Amiga Format Magazine. I think almost the entire collection was up there until not long ago and then it suddenly disappeared. Um, So... I don't think ebooks is the only thing that's going to get attacked or in fact has been attacked. The fact that it is ebooks though it reminds me of and it's quite ironic this fact. So the book 1984 which I'm sure most of us are familiar with but if you're not you know part of the key uh, trends in 1984 is about censorship and controlling opinion and thought. Um but what happened in I think it's 2009 is people that had bought the book 1984 on their Kindle devices, suddenly found, and they paid for it, they'd paid for it, suddenly found that it was missing. And I'll put a link in the show notes. You can read the details. But what it was, was that the the third party that had put it up for sale on the on the Amazon store for the Kindles didn't own the rights. So that's why Amazon, quite rightly, took it away from the store, but they also remotely took it off people's devices. So we're actually looking at quite a quite a scary future when we think you know this is the way literature is going to go dave
0: yeah i've heard it said that the more likely someone is to angrily talk about it's just like 1984 the Mm. less likely is they have to read they've actually read the book (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Um, well it's, <laughs> yeah oh but in this case look you can't look this is yeah, this is this yeah. is quite accurate this is what's happening is the ability to either yeah. remove literature remotely or change the content mm-hmm. of it or whatever and funny enough i was involved in some projects a while back quite a, quite a few years ago now about e, uh producing ebooks um for education won't go into it too much um but it was um i was i i Because of my technical background, I thought what they wanted was for me to look at the different ebook formats, Mobi, um, EPUB, and whatever the Apple one was at the time, um, and ways of converting content into those um, uh, formats and the the pros and cons of each. That was part of the project, but what they were actually really interested in is the DRM. You know, if we produce this stuff, how do we control it? How do we maintain ownership of it? Um, Because that's that's part of part of the thing. You know. and it's the same discussion we have about, you know, modern games and gaming through Steam and all the other stores. You know, if you buy a game, do you actually own it? Can, can you lend it to a friend? Can you, can you sell it on in the future? You know, and unfortunately, we know the, the question to most, the answer to most of those questions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're all on the same page here, whether it's a digital page or a physical page. Well done. Um, thank you. <laughs> the, the article closes with, so you decide to purchase an e-book. Can you give it to your friend? Not likely. The license probably does not allow you to do that. Can you sell it? Not likely. When you pass on, will it pass on to your heirs? Almost certainly not. Can you give it to a library? No, you can't do that. There are all these things that you used to be able to do with a print book that you cannot do with digital books. I mean, something I see a lot in my area is the repurposing of phone booths, um, phone -hmm. boxes. Sorry, I went all American there. Phone booths, phone boxes, which they've turned into mini libraries where you can just do book exchanges. Um, oh, yeah. Put yeah. a new book in, take another book away. And I love seeing that. And um, it Carrie, it continues, part of the role of big libraries is to preserve the cultural heritage of the country. But you can't preserve a book if it only has a two year license. So I think a new mindset is surely needed for digital ar- archives in general, not just e-books, but archives um, of all kinds of things. How this case will pan out, I don't know, but it will raise a lot more questions than answers, I think, in the short term. And a solution does need to be found to the question of digital preservation, archiving of items. And um, some some of these items will be out of print, uh, sorry, out, out, out of publication. So games, for example, but still covered by copyright law. I mean, how, how do we preserve those? I, I don't have the answer. I hope we'll, we'll find it soon. Who controls the past controls the future.
0: Who controls the present controls the past. I'd be surprised if very many of you needed this explanation. But for the few of you that do, perhaps the younger if you've not heard this being said so much, um, Moore's Law, named after Gordon Moore, is the observation that the number of transistors and microprocessors doubles every two years. Gordon Moore founded Fairchild Semiconductor and Intel And he also has a second law that the cost of a semiconductor fabrication plant doubles every four years. So that's obviously closely related to the first. Gordon Moore passed away at the age of 94 on the 24th of March this year. Born in California, he went to Caltech in 1950, and he was one of the traitorous eight who left Shockley Semiconductor Library in 1957 to found Fairchild Semiconductor. You're still stuck in the last story. You said uh, Semiconductor Library,
1: Semiconductor. It was it was oh. shortly Semiconductor Laboratory, wasn't it? Yes,
0: Laboratory. Sorry. If I don't correct you, the, the comment section will. <laughs> I know, I know. No, thank you. No, it's, it's, thank you, yeah. So he, he founded Semiconductor Laboratory in 1957 to found Fairchild Semiconductor. One of them, um, Robert Noyce, along with Gordon Moore, founded NM Electronics and within a month changed it to Intel. And he eventually stood down as CEO in 1987. So long, Gordon Moore, and thanks for all the chips. Going back to Moore's law, I've read many times in the past that it's about to end or has just ended or we're we're outside of it. And I'm pretty sure I've, I've even heard people say that it did end some time ago. Now, I don't want to open myself too much to corrections and so on, and I'm sure we're going to get them anyway. But as far as I can see, based on what I read online, it's still believed to be currently valid and being followed, despite being coined way back in 1965.
1: Yeah, there's been a a lot of misinterpretation of it over the years. I remember in the 90s in particular, a lot of people uh, conflated it with the doubling of clock speeds of processors rather than the number of transistors. And they're like, oh, that's Moore's law in action. To a degree, it was because it needed those extra transistors to achieve those speeds. But as we moved into a period where people are not so worried about clock speeds, there's not that Intel versus AMD uh, versus arm um, versus whoever else to get the highest clock speed number it's more about the number of cores and the efficiency of multitasking and all of that that's fallen by the wayside a little bit but um there was a period when everyone
0: not everyone a lot of people would say that moore's law was about clock speed doubling it wasn't yeah it was a it was definitely a misconception there about general speed of your computer and all the rest but no it was just just about the number of uh transistors inside it uh, jensen huang from nvidia last september said it's finished And Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger said at the same time, it's not finished. And we won't know. Uh, At the moment, it's still deemed to be valid, but we won't know. Uh, So all I can see is a continual pattern of people saying it's over, and then events proving them wrong. One thing I do think is definitely true is that the the advancements that we get to enjoy in gaming have slowed down dramatically. If you look at the past 10 to 15 years, compared to the period it went before, things are not moving at the same rate. We're not getting the same level of advancement. Um, If you look at a period of two to three years compared to two to three years now, two to three years now is how long something takes to come out and get patched to work properly. Um, If you think back to the the late 70s with Apple IIs and then heating up with the super low-cost spectrum and then the 16-bit Max STs, Amiga, then the PC catching on, and then seemingly speeding up even more in the early 90s all the way through to the late 00s when I think things did really start to slow down, at least for what we get to see in front of us. The difference in PC gaming, for example, from the early 90s with EGA games to using a voodoo with the late 1990s is it's just nothing short of amazing. But talking about, one th- talking about laws that I like, one of the laws I like is Brandolini's law. And it's from Italian programmer Alberto Brandolini. And it's the idea that it takes much more effort to debunk bullshit than it does to tell it. Mr. Neil Thomas, what is Thomas's law?
1: Yeah, um, I'd like our listeners to get thinking about this because our question of the week um, is about your own laws. We'll come on to that later. So my own law, I think, would be... Um, about the cost of a retro game. So Thomas's law is that the cost of a retro game you're fond of from your childhood rises exponentially according to the number of pirated copies you made for your friends. (laughs) The more you pirated it, the more people enjoyed it. Therefore, the more demand there is for it in the modern day. But the fewer physical copies were needed to satisfy that demand back in the day. And now you have to pay the
0: price. That's true. Another one of my favorites is Einstein's razor. And it says... The supreme goal of all theory is to make the irreducible basic elements as simple and as few as possible without having to surrender the adequate representation of a single datum of experience. And if you apply Einstein's razor to Einstein's razor, make things as simple as possible, but no simpler. Which I think is really good. Mr. Chris Winter, what is Winter's Law?
2: I did have one written down here actually, but I'm going to change it to try and keep it retro computing because I like where Neil's gone. And my thoughts is, um, oh, how do I word this? Basically, the price, the price of all games are going up unless they're the ones you've already purchased. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the way <laughs> <I see> it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's where I go with that.
0: And my favorite, my final favorite law uh, is from Cole. Now, can either of you tell me what that law is? No, um, I saw in the notes. It's that shredded you, you... cabbage with shredded uh, carrot and mayonnaise. Coleslaw.
1: Oh, Ow, dear. For goodness
0: sake. Oh, no. For goodness Boom. sake. Boom.
1: <sighs> How do you kick someone out of this podcast? How do you press the button?
2: You can move him. You can move him. <laughs> Simon Max,
1: come on. Um, so... <laughs> Simon Max with a, with a side of
0: Coleslaw would be quite nice. so is is moore's law over we don't know but its creator has sadly passed away leaving us with an incredible legacy so thank you for kefka floyd for letting us know maybe have a look at wikipedia and dive into the history of moore his laws and intel we are sponsored this week by pixel addict monthly magazine that comes out every six weeks (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> it is Britain's best-selling digital culture magazine. Um, is it? Where have you read You'll like it at, at the very top of the magazine. Oh, on really? On the front cover. Above the word pixeladic, it says Britain's best-selling digital culture magazine. I, I, I want I, I want some evidence. You,
1: uh, they just self-declared themselves as the best-selling culture magazine, or is there some hard fact behind
0: this, Dave? Well, it says on my favourite magazine... <laughs> Is it the only one? <laughs> I don't know. Um, it Although says it at is. the top of the magazine, so yeah. it must be true. It's in print. Yeah, there you go. Britain's yeah, oh, best-selling never digital culture magazine. I don't know if it's the best-selling one in Australia. I don't know. I need to evidence. Chris bought two, so maybe that's no, it. No, I think
2: in Australia, it's the best British digital
0: culture magazine. Yeah. 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 Fair dinkum. Yeah. <laughs> true blue. <laughs> I've been reading about, this this, month, this this week I've been reading about um, Angelina Jolie. What's the film called? Tomb Raider, that's it. Tomb Raider, where did it go? Why did that get into- leave my head? Tomb I like Raider. the way you came back to it
2: through Angelina Jolie. That was fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I remember about Tomb Raider. Yeah, mm. Angelina Jolie. Mm. Um, it is available in your local newsagent if Chris hasn't beat you to it. Uh, You can go to their website. Neil, what's the website? Oh, pixel.addict.media. Well done. And you can subscribe. You can buy single issues. You can get it delivered or you can get it as a PDF and you don't need to rent it out.
2: I think we'd all agree that having machines from our past or ones we missed out on from our past gives us the warm and fuzzies, am I right? Yes, I'm right. That was rhetorical but anyway Um, (laughs) but anyway i'd argue that having boxed examples makes them even warmer and fuzzier Um, i don't know if i've mentioned this before but i've got a boxed complete batman pack with all matching numbers and everything have i mentioned this to you guys before have i told you the story about the batman pack anyway yes i do and you know to be honest i actually couldn't imagine re-owning an a500 in any other way and i mean that like i could just go and buy a random unboxed one and for me, that would not have had the same impact as getting the exact same pack that I grew up with. Um, and similarly with the Atari Jaguar, even though that's a bit of a curveball, just had to see those, you know, those eyes again on the on the black box and the and the Jaguar in the big red, and just have that on my shelf. But neither of my examples are new in inverted commas. Of course, they're not, um, and they have the old scuff and, and the odd rip here and there. Um, even though they're in very good shape, and in fact, on the Jaguar boxes, anybody that's got one knows that the the honeycombing on the inside, so the insert, always gets it's always in terrible shape. It kind of gets ripped to shreds as you try and pull it out and put it back in again every time you want to use the use the machine. Um, before I go on, actually, uh, boxed or unboxed, guys, what's your preference? The systems that you collect personally, so not necessarily for the museum, Neil, um, but what's your preference? Do you want them boxed or unboxed?
1: Uh, you've asked me a difficult question there because by having a museum, it's very hard to justify having a personal collection.
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Problem we all have, yeah.
1: (laughs) My collection is the museum collection. Um, So yeah, in my circumstances, I like box because I know how, how many feelings can be evoked by looking at the box. And whether your Amiga 500 was working or not, you would still love the fact that you've got the Batman pack box. You'd still love to just walk up to it and look at it from time to time. So... I'm going to say boxed, but, you know, everybody's memory is different. Whatever you're nostalgic for, the system, the box, both,
0: it's all fine. But I do like the box.
2: Yeah, Dave?
0: Unboxed. Unboxed. I'll point it later on, but, yeah, unboxed. No hesitation.
2: Ah, interesting. Yeah. For some systems I've got, like, the the ZX Spectrum and the C64, uh, and to a degree the Amiga, um, you can actually – create brand new machines and and we've covered that before you know most if not all of the components are available in some form or another and there's also people making brand new reproduction boxes for some of the systems Um, dominic booze from the amiga community springs to mind Um, a lot of people have have seen his stuff Uh, but not many have done the two combined in in one package usually have to go one place for one lot and another place for the boxes and the other materials well, Charles from Lost Retro Tapes has now. He's done the combination. He's created a brand new ZX Spectrum 48K out of brand new components right down to the board from PCBWay. Um, not sponsored, by the way, unlike everybody else. Um, contact us. Uh, and I think the ZX Spectrum has been pretty well documented in terms of the availability of brand new parts and, and pretty much 99% of the build um which is fantastic now, you know, you can you can get all those parts. I think it's just, according to what I've read, it's the LM1889N chip that's apparently um, you, you can't get, so you have to have an original. Um, but other than that, pretty much everything is available, either new or there's a modern replacement for it. But Charles has gone further, okay? So he's built the brand-new ZX Spectrum 48K out of all, all new components, 99%. He's reconstructed the horizon tape that came with most 48K Spectrums. So when I say reconstructed, he's actually got the original data in WAV form and he's recorded that onto a brand new audio cassette because you can still get that medium. And he's put a brand new label around it in a brand new case He's done the manuals, so both the system and the basic manuals have both been professionally reprinted. We're not talking, you know, your local office shop down the road where you take a PDF down and they do it for, you know, a couple of quid. We're talking a proper professional print, fully, uh, I think it's called normal binding, so not the ring bound. Uh, and the, the manuals were available in both originally, but it's the the normal binding, the, the really nice flush binding. He's done a brand-new outer box. And even the internal pollies have been done as well. And to see those, uh, we'll come to where you can find all this information in a bit, but actually the, the photos of the pollies are in the Reddit post um, that he posted, not in our group, in another group. Um, where he basically revealed this 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 project that he's been working on, and the fact that it's completed. So that's where you can see the photos of the polys. and even some stickers. I don't remember what stickers came with the the Spectrum Forty Eight K, but he's got some stickers. One that says Forty Eight K RAM, um, and another one that says One Year Warranties, and they're all in there in the top of the box. And he's paired it with a boxed Bush cassette recorder just to top it all off. It literally, when you look at the photos and you scroll through. It looks like Christmas 1982 all over again, um, which was the intent. Now, the whole thing costs, so including all the printing and everything, costs just over £400, which seems like a lot, but actually adjusted for inflation, or at least according to the calculator that I used, it's it's actually about right. In fact, it's, a, it's over £100 cheaper. So I put in 175 which was the original price of the 48K spectrum back in 1982, um, according to the facts that I found Uh, And the cost in February 2023 would be £577.68. So what do you guys think, Neil?
1: Um, Well, of course I love this, Chris. I mean, it was only a few weeks back I was telling you about a PlayStation 5 box I saw that someone had put out with the rubbish, and I had to stop and put it in my car because I thought... There's a great example of a, a console box that's going to need to be in a museum at some point. People will be nostalgic for that at some point. And here we are with someone going to all of this effort to recreate the box for their ZX Spectrum and all the units. So I, I'm fully on board with this. The The level of detail is very impressive on this project, right down to creating the manuals, as you mentioned, with the help of a chap called Gary Arnott, who, who retouched up the original artwork there. Um if if you don't follow Gary Arna on on Twitter, go and do do that. We'll we'll put it in the show notes. Gary A R N O T T. He does these wonderful tweets where he takes up manuals um, cover art from eight bit games and then just scales them up to really high quality, touches them up, takes the text off, so you just get the lovely artwork without the text all over the top of it. And he's, he's done hundreds of them and he does a really good job of that. So he's well worth looking up. And he helped with the the, the touching up the, the manual and the basic book. So you have the manual and then you have the book about programming basic. Now, I thought that the basic book was ring bound originally, which is really useful when you're programming because you can open the book flat and it doesn't try to close itself. Uh, but listener um, Lucretia9, uh, also on our subreddit, to the original post by Bateman um, says it came in both ring and normal bindings, which I didn't know. I thought it was just ring bound. So even that passes the authenticity test when you open this and look at it. Um, I'm glad you talked about the polys because my first question when I looked at them was, well, surely he's just repurposed original polys. You, You can't get that kind of level of detail and quality to the finish, but... Clearly, he has. And it does, it, it's not like he's just gone down to the fishmonger's and got a bit of polystyrene and cut the shape out with a knife. He's, this is all done professionally. This is amazing. I'd love to just get the polys.
0: Dave, you're, you're snickering there. What are you <laughs> snickering about? It's just the idea of going down to the fish market and getting some. Getting in some a box ZX smelling poly- polystyrene, <laughs> <laughs> carving out and saying, "Look, there you go, perfect." <laughs> um, Put that on eBay.
1: Um, <laughs> there's one thing missing. There's one thing missing, and I only know this because um, my, my my wife Lily, when I started doing the museum, her dad said, "Oh, I think I've got something in the loft," and he dug out his ZX Spectrum, and it was everything that we see there, but it was also an outer brown. Postal packaging with the Sinclair Research kind of stamp on the front of the box, Mm. an old Uh 1984 um, postage stamp on there. Um, So, you know, if you want to go one further, you could do the outer packaging for if you if you purchased it by mail order.
0: I was about to say that would only be the order But then, the male then, order then ones, ones, what do you do yeah. with it? You, you can't. You, you then put, have to put the spectrum inside that, and then it hides the. Sp- the, the, the oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, does it? Like, I mean, it's like Heston Blumenthal does retro. I mean, has he has he infused some original nineteen eighty four um, or nineteen eighty two air into the box? Uh, yeah, mm. I like it though.
2: It's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah. You've touched on a the thing there, Dave. But I, I I disagree to a point. I've, I've again mentioned my love for the for the um, Batman pack, but where's the A500? It's here on my desk. So just because you've got this brand new pristine box, the, the machine doesn't have to stay inside it. You know, they're two separate pieces.
0: So anyway, what about yourself, Dave? While it's great to unbox this system, especially to explore the manual, the packing games, the utilities, knowing it's all in this box, I'm not a fan of box systems generally. Um, I'm a huge fan of box games, but we put the game back in the box when we're finished with it, and it goes in a shelf. We use the box. I don't use my, my systems. The ethos behind my system is I want them there, ready to use all the time. So it would mean putting the box on a shelf. And if I put the box on a shelf, if I had space to put the box on a shelf, I would put box games there instead. So for me, it's not that it's not too important. And if I did. I think the boxes and you you mentioned this as well about the the jaguar box the boxes themselves quickly wear out they're not designed they're designed to get the product to you safely they're not designed to be to be opened and closed and i know if we'll all have had that experience where you need to send something back to amazon it just doesn't fit back in the box it doesn't fit back the way the box it was it was packed so so that's so for me the boxes aren't that useful um but I know that some people don't have box games, or they don't have very many, and they or they don't want to spend. I mean, having a shelf full of box games can be quite expensive. So having a single box of your your favorite system there, if you don't have the box games, that, that that's fine. And I, I don't want to tell you when they can't. But for me, I'm not that keen on it. But I really enjoyed reading this. Uh, one of the things I said was my New Year's resolution was I was going to uh, try and get myself set, set up with a system where I can sit and read blogs, and I read this and it reminded me I haven't done that. I when mean, I was reading through um, it, it's, it, it's his website. He's got he's got he's got, got it categorized into different sections as he's done it. I spoke to him last night. The one section that isn't there yet is the is the is the, set up, the section on the box, which I presume will also have the polys in it. And he said he's hopefully going to get that today. So by the time this goes out um, to the public, hopefully the whole website's actually there for you. So it's really well timed. But I, I, reading that, it did remind me that I did tell myself this year I wanted to do uh, some blog reading and to get myself a set, system set up, and I haven't. So I'll need to get back to that. But I really like what he did with the Horizons tape. So the Horizons tape is a, is a cassette that came with the ZX Spectrum, the pack-in tape, if you like. And he's made it; it's, it's so good. I can't put into words how much I love the idea of recreating things like that. Um, I've done it once. Uh, this this is um, this is the the Quest for Glory anthology. Um, Sierra uh, have quite a few of these anthologies is a there's a king's quest one there is what's it's the Robert Arthur Williams collection there's a police quest one there's a space quest one there's a legendary larry one and that's the quest for glory one and mine came without the manual but the manuals available pdf online so what i did was i took the pdf and i sent it off to a bookbinder to get printed and i have a really nice uh manual that as far as i know because I don't know any better. I've never seen I've never seen the real manual. But as far as, to my eyes, this is a nice, authentic manual. So I really enjoyed doing that. So what he's done with the manual and with uh, with that are really interesting. And also the polys interest me as well, because maybe if we're going to send a monitor somewhere, is it possible to produce polys for it? I don't know. Well, that's a good um, idea. But. Um what I'd like to do when I get this place tidied up and I have got I've got I can justify doing it is creating my own disc games for the CPC. There's loads of budget games that I like and they come on tape and I'd like to reproduce the sleeve but in a in a disc box format and put a tape ver I put a tape version onto disc as well as put a label for them so I've got discs of those to use. Neil
1: Do you know what I'd like to reproduce is the Amsoft 12 pack that you got when you bought the Amstrad CPC. Um, And the reason I'd like to do that is because it was so exciting when I unboxed my Amstrad and then found this with it. And this was going to be my first 12 video games. Some of them weren't games, but my first 12 cassettes to use on my Amstrad CPC. I've actually got all of those individual tapes so I can make up the collection, but I don't have the outer packaging and I'd love to make the packaging to complete that. Because if I look on eBay right now, there's a set for sale. I'm not saying this; it's worth this, but it's a buy it now price of £310 for games like Roland in the Caves and Oh Mummy and Roland on the Ropes. So um, it's not worth that. And, and emblazoned on the front of it is software with over £100 value yeah yeah it's, it's, it's not it's not 310 pound value in 2023 thank you very much so maybe i'd reproduce something like that
0: I, I, my, my issue with that is it's a bit like the the atari st power pack in that it's just a carrier to get it into your house mm-hmm. and once it's in your mm-hmm. house it's opened and it's not very useful um but Disc boxes, like I've mentioned, the Horizons tape, he's mentioned the manual. They are useful. That that's what you will use. It's he's produced these in a format that are that is usable. And for me, that that's absolutely brilliant. So I, I, I really enjoyed reading this. I can't wait to. He, he was hoping if 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 you get time to get the the last page updated today. So I'll be checking once we're finished to see if it's there or not. Oh, cool! But I really enjoyed this project.
2: Um, For me, I mean, I never had a 48K ZX Spectrum new, you know, from new myself. So I don't mind the fact that the one I've got on the shelf is unboxed because that's what I was, you know, I, I just went to my mate's house. I never saw the box. That's where I played them. But I'm certainly chasing the box parts for my Plus 3 because I did have one of those from brand new. And the one I bought... Um, which was lovely and reconditioned. It came in the polys, but I don't have the box and I don't have the outer sleeve. And when I go shopping for them, it's got to be the right outer sleeve. It's got to be the Chartbusters pack. Um, And it has to have the Cheetah 125 box going in the end um, because, again, that's what I had. So, you know, I'm going to be chasing all those bits, but sometimes chasing just the cardboard can actually be quite reasonable with the Spectrum stuff. Um, And I'm actually very tempted, even though I never owned one myself, one of my mates did, I'm very tempted to pick up one of these new old stock Spectrum Plus 2s, the James Bond packs that occasionally pop up because it was just a mob load of them that didn't sell because it was towards the end of the Spectrum's life. So you see those pop up at quite reasonable prices as well. Not hard to get hold of, so that would be great to get my hands on. Um, And I also think this project, keeping in mind this price of about £400 and and how bespoke this build is and very particular it is, for me, this has really put the Spectrum Next back into perspective um, and it actually shows how very well priced that product was. Uh, it's actually quite amazing when you think about it. Um, and, and, you know, at the time it seemed quite expensive for some, myself included, but looking at this, actually it was it was fantastically priced and I should have got my hands on one. Um, but I think this brand new ZX Spectrum that Charles has created is a fantastic project. Uh, and to be clear, this isn't being mass produced for sale. The intent is to sell this very limited item in a charity auction at some point in the future, uh, Dave?
0: Yeah, on the the ZX spectrum. Next, um, I um, I was thinking about it the other day. I've backed issue two, so I'm, I'm waiting on issue two. The 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 chip shortage have delayed it a bit, and they've they have worked so hard to try and deliver what they've what they promised and they're they're going to do it But the looks at things uh later on this year so full credit to them for the, the effort they put into that but i never thought the price was expensive for it i never thought the price was expensive even compared to buying an old thing see if, if you if you go to buy an old micro you buy it on ebay and you think well great i've got it for 60 or 70 quid fantastic then you've got the power supply to buy and then you've got the way to convert the video to use it on, an, on on a flat screen. I think most people use them in flat screens. I know we, I, use, I use CRTs, but I think I'm I, I'm maybe in the minority there. And then, of course, you've got some kind of flash storage device to buy for it. So by the time you get the machine and then those, those kind of three essential things for it, you're probably not far away from this price. Plus, you get to buy mm-hmm. this, the, the, the Spectrum Next. It's new. You don't need to get it recapped. It doesn't buzz it doesn't flicker it doesn't smell uh, it's clean to use you're not putting your fingers in someone else's gravy um <laughs> it's it it, it it is I, I, I think it, it, it's worth it I think people um people who th- think it's expensive I think ha- haven't really thought that that but probably through so I I think even what Charles has done for the cost he spent on it what what Charles has done here even that isn't bad value for money.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Just saying, puts it in perspective. Absolutely puts it in perspective. Because yeah, anything yeah, bespoke yeah. And, and small run, and of course, this is an extremely small run because there's only one, costs more, and, and that's that's yeah. the reality of it. So, yeah. So, yeah, this is just, you know, without doubt, this is a fantastic build, fantastic story. So uh, massive thanks to G7VFY for linking us to the story on Hackaday by Maya Posh. Sure, that's her name now, um, which details this project. Uh, But do head over to lostretrotapes.com, which is the website Dave was mentioning, as the entire project is there in detail, including links. And this is the fantastic bit. He's not trying to hide how he did this. He's included full links and a full parts list and everything to where he ordered every single part of this, right down to where he got the manuals printed and the box and and every single part. So if you wanted to do this yourself, you actually could. He's putting it all out, out there for you. It's a very detailed blog and well worth your time. All links in the show notes.
1: Time now for our question of the week. Now, last week we were talking about awards, weren't we? Why was that? It was award. because it was the, the, the Game Developers Awards. So hold off, Chris. That, we'll bring that up oh. in just a second. We'll bring that up in just a second. So we were talking about awards and we wondered, who do you think deserves an award for their contribution to anything retro computing and why? Hardware, software, graphics, music, podcast hosts. <laughs> Chris, hopefully, put in there. Chris um, is the top answer. Exactly. Chris is the top answer. So I'll start with that. So have your prop ready, uh, Chris. So the top answer is from our good friend, Richard Shears. He says, quite simply, Chris. So Chris, you you, you primed the question and you got the result you wanted. He deserves the award for creating a single game for a single person. I can honestly say with hand on heart, I've never played a game as good as this. And it was created (laughs) specifically for me. Just remind us very quickly what that was. And um as I was reading that, Chris was holding up an award because Richard Cheers has actually sent Chris an award. It says certificate. What it, it's overexposed. Uh, yeah, so just read overexposed. it. There. there we go.
2: I'll read, I'll read it out. But yeah. yeah, to remind people, I, yeah, I just, you know, it was just a bit of fun, made a silly game in shoot em up up. No serious. Kit. And the glasses um, are on. And, um, and and I gave it. the whole idea was only one person would ever get to play this game, and and Rich was the guy because he won a Christmas competition. So he's done this certificate. What I love about this certificate is it looks like every certificate I've ever received from when you go to a PD <laughs> workshop at work. Um, And it's just a a, a certificate of participation. (laughs) You know what I mean? I love it. Fantastic. Same style. Certificate of game making. The following award is given to Chris Winter. This certificate is given to Chris Winter for his achievement in the creation of a single game for a single person. And it's been awarded by Richard Shears, recipient of said game. And Elmo the mentor
1: (laughs) so So there you go you are the wu-tang clan of the retro gaming world do you remember they made an album that only one person could listen to one person could buy uh that that album went for two million dollars i'm not sure your game went for the same would go for the same amount but no it definitely
2: would definitely would it's a one-off nil
1: you know what can go wrong (laughs) and chris has framed that certificate you chose to frame it rather than put it into your national record of achievement
2: yeah, oh, maybe I'll do both. But, yeah, that's that's going on the wall. That's a very serious award. This isn't a joke, guys. This is very serious stuff.
0: <laughs> very serious. Dave, would you like to read the next top answer? It's gone weird. The, the, it's gone weird because there, the, the thread, for some reason, is in contest mode, which randomises comment sorting. Oh, yeah. So oh. It, something's happened there. Um, and when oh, I looked okay. at it first, the top answer was, in fact, Chris. But it was chris robert who produced the wing commander series okay, when that so, game was released i never thought sorry there's a button
1: here i'm gonna press it it says end contest mode ending contest yeah, mode will make that. comment vote scores visible and disable random comment ordering so Richard's that deserved not... to be read out so i pressed it Richard's yes. is it still at the top so i didn't He's still win. at the top
0: wow let me refresh the well page. there we go Well, the next one is 100 yeah. producer duncan I didn't think too much about what it took to edit the show until one guest was in Australia with dial-up internet. If it wasn't for the jump cuts on the video in YouTube, I wouldn't have noticed the lag and delays the guest was experiencing at all. Incorporating his contribution to that episode was seamless. That's when I started taking notice of the effort Duncan puts into the minor details of every episode, and it's just quality through and through. Love your work, my friend. There's even a wee heart there. Um, if you listen to this podcast, if you if you listen to it uh, rather than watch it, maybe one week, take an opportunity to look at it. Yeah. Duncan puts quite a few little Easter eggs in from time to time. I love watching the show. When, I, when I, I don't listen back to it, I watch it back just so that I can see any little things that Duncan does just to do a little bit of trolling or just to do a little bit of enhancement with us. Mm. Um, I know, for example, I, I really laughed when Neil was talking about his boiler. Um, Duncan turned on blue um, so yeah thank you very much Duncan we all agree Duncan you're great thank you very much for what you do yeah. 100% 100% yeah. Chris would you like to read the
1: next answer
2: I think it's the next answer is it the Tech Made Easy UK one is that the one it is yes. that's the one I'm reading out uh, Keir Fraser creator of Flash Floppy firmware for GoTek USB
0: floppy disk emulators yeah. oh absolutely yeah. got yeah. one yeah. sitting
2: right here as an external drive that's uh, a godsend I should say
0: I should say uh, the the one for Duncan was uh, Shishakli, Shishakli. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sorry, I didn't read out your name. Name for it. There you go. And um, yeah, there are lots of other
1: great answers. Uh, people have said the um, the team behind Fuse ZX Spectrum Emulator, mm-hmm. Tony Willen for Win UAE. Yes. Uh, somebody votes for the average hobbyist, which is nice. Um, Hank Rogers. Uh, which is to do with the um, the new Tetris film. Has anyone watched the new Tetris film yet? No, Not yet. I mean, no, it's no, good. I haven't either. Uh, Delphine Software for all of their games. Chris Roberts is down there, which um, Dave mentioned. Um, All sorts of people down there. Oh, and, and somebody. What more we should read out? What? The award for worst reader of Pixel Addicts?
0: Yes, you've just seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that goes to all of us. Yeah. The award for the worst reader of the Pixel Addict ad. The thing is, you think we're reading it out. We're not reading it out. We oh, don't no. There's no an script. Ad for it. We just go. Would, yeah, you believe no script. It? That, would, would you believe sad? there's yeah. no script? <laughs> <laughs> because what we, do, we, we don't want anyone to skip the ad. We want that to be, that to be something interesting for people to listen to. <laughs> mm. There we go. So that was our question of the week. Next week's question of the week, you can
1: participate in at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro. And the question is, we've had Moore's law, Neil's law, Chris's law, but what's your law for retro collecting, gaming, programming, or anything else retro? make up your laws and post them over on our subreddit. And we're really looking forward to reading them. And we'll figure out what the hell contest mode is and who enabled it last week. So that we read them back in the correct order.
0: It's a good idea. It's a good oh, idea yeah. because it means we, yeah. So what Duncan Duncan would have done it. So Duncan, keep doing that. And then just before the show, we can end the contest mode nice. so yeah. that we can see it. Put a prompt in the, um, um, in the show notes so we make sure we turn it off in future and then
1: we'll read it in the right order. As Always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. All of the links to everything we've discussed uh, are in the show notes. Please do take a while, uh, a moment on YouTube to subscribe, to thumbs up, maybe hit the bell if you want to know when we're released on YouTube. Smash the bell, review. don't hit it, smash, smash it, destroy it, smash the bell. Um, and uh, that, that's Moo's law, isn't it? Make yes. the bell ring, <laughs> and mm. then um, and then uh. Oh, God, I've completely lost my trail
0: of thought. We'll see you next week. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) In the next... I I did want to say that over the next five weeks, we have four guests to look forward to. So next week, you'll see a guest on with us. Bye-bye, folks. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. Bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple
0: Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel.
2: Join our community subreddit at r thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube,
1: please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.